last week we started our sermon series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is unknown. Nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, some people say it's Paul, some people say it's Barnabas or um, Apollos, but it really, it's it's an unknown author, um, a mysterious author that writes this book. It's written to Christian Jews that are living in persecution um, sometime after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and they're, they've become Christians. They're Jews that have become Christians, but they're being persecuted and they're on the verge of falling away uh, from the faith. And we know that the author had first-hand account of the apostles, um, either, you know, like through the apostles' teachings that um, the, the writer had access to, you know, uh, personal relationships with the apostles, or he was actually an apostle himself. Um, and the author seems to have like extensive knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, he quotes the Old Testament all over the book of Hebrews, right? And this was a time where, you know, you know how we have our Bible, my Bible's right here, and I can go, and if I lose this Bible, I go buy another one, right? And if I want to write down something that's written in this Bible, I could just look inside and copy, you know, and right now, you know, but this was a time where no, people didn't have copies of the Old Testament scriptures, right? If you wanted to learn about scripture, you had to go to the synagogue, you had to like learn, you know, and, and hear people read it, and, and you had to memorize it. You know, there was no Google where you can cut and paste. That's what I usually do when I write my sermon, right? I just, I Google something, I cut and paste, like my scriptures, you know, Bible um, gateway, and, but it, so this is a man that has extensive knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. He's most likely a Christian Jew himself, um, and and probably very very well educated, and has um, and has this relationship with the apostles so that it can actually be considered an apostolic book and it can be included in um, the canonization of the Bible. And the author's main point for the letter of Hebrews is this: that Jesus is better than everything. Right? That there's nothing greater than Jesus. So don't fall away from him, but choose him. That's the that's the heart of the message of the book of Hebrews. And there are warnings and exhortations all over the book of Hebrews encouraging these people to choose Jesus and don't fall away. And and this can be applicable for our lives because you know we may not you know be you know not on the verge of giving up our faith but now, we choose things over Jesus all the time in our lives, right? There's so many things that we can do where, you know, we, we instead of choosing Jesus, we choose um, the things that we want and or, or the things that, you know, pull us away from Christ. And so it's very, it, the book is still very applicable for us today. And last week we talked about Jesus uh, as the first two verses of the book is, as the God's final and complete revelation that Christ, you know, God used to talk to talk to us through prophets long time ago but now in these last days you know God has spoken to us through his son and so you know if you want to know God of the universe right the unseen God the you know the truly the like the God that we if we saw we would like you know we would die instantaneously if we actually touch we would die the unseen and and, and almost the unknowable God we know we can know him through Jesus because he is right the, the last revelation God has spoken through His Son. And so to know Jesus is to know God. And that's what Jesus talks about throughout His ministry. Like, to know me is to know the Father, right? It's like, I am, me and the Father are one. Like, like, you know, like, when, when they say, like, oh, show us the Father, it's like, I can't believe you're saying this. You know, I've been telling you forever. To know me is to know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And so, um, Jesus says that final revelation, um, of God. And today's passage comes from Hebrews 
1 verse 3 also comes from Hebrews 10. So we're going to look at two um, books. Um, I believe Hebrews 1, 3 and Hebrews 10, um, they're thematically very closely tied together. And I had to Google that word thematically if it really was a word. And it is a word. So uh, the themes are very closely tied together. And so um, we're going to read both passages today. Um, and so uh, I'll read Hebrews 1.3 to you guys. And uh, he says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then Hebrews 10, verse 1 through 18. Uh, this, you guys are there. It says, For since the law has but a, a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me, in the scroll of the book. When he said above, what, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and written them and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Um, we know that one, the one theme that runs throughout the this book of Hebrews is just that Jesus is the best, right? And, and I don't mean it in the way like I say, like you know, my cooking is the best, or my you know, I make brisket pretty well, so I say like my brisket is the best, you know. But you know, like my brisket is great, you know, and even like my friend who's from Texas came and ate it and he said, oh, it's the best brisket in Korea, right? But I know that if I go to Texas, there will be, you know, some guy that makes brisket better than me, and there'll be a lot of people that say, oh, that's not the best brisket, it's this and this, and they'll be claiming to be the best. Um, but what the author of Hebrew is trying to convey, convey is that Jesus is the best, he's the greatest, and there is nothing in all of creation that is greater and more superior to Jesus. That's his goal, is the supremacy of 
Jesus. Right. Um, that, then that's what he's saying. Right. There is no one greater than Jesus ever, right? In, 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 that will exist. And he is, and he says that he is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a radiance. If you're talking about the sun, it would be that the rays of light that we experience from the sun. When I go out to hell on the beach on a sunny day, I get hot. I'm also because I'm chubby and, and I sweat a lot. And so I get super hot. I start to sweat and I get dark real quickly. Well, that happens because I'm experiencing the rays of the sun, right? The sun is shooting off its radiance and, and that, that radiance is touching my skin and it's making me hot, right? And in the same way, what God, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is the radiance, the shining of the glory of God that we are able to experience. Now I love, you know, A.W. Tozer talks about it in this way. Um, he talks about it, the glory of the sun. And he says that we've basically taken the glory of, and he lived a long time ago, so this is more applicable to him, but he talks about how the glory of Jesus as a son of God has been simplified to, to kind of, uh, in our understanding, to just basically reflect the halo that artists draw in, in paintings. I don't know if you've seen paintings. If you come from a Korean American church, I grew up in a Korean American church, there's always paintings of a Jesus who's Caucasian, I don't know why, um, and has his halo over his head, or he's like clothed in like orange, yellow light, right? You know, and that's how the the painters from a long time ago kind of portrayed the glory of Jesus, that he kind of shined in this way. It's such a simplistic understanding of the glory of Jesus, right? And he says that as Christians, have to, we have to be very careful about our attitudes concerning aspects about his Jesus, especially his glory. His glory is not just a halo or just some some radiant light that shines from him. And he says, he says, this, I feel strongly that worshippers, worshiping Christians, should never be guilty of using a theological word or expression in a popular or careless sense unless we explain what we are doing. It is only proper when we speak of the glory of of the glory of God the Son to actually refer to that uniqueness of His person and character that excites our admiration and wonder. To those who love this one, Jesus, and serve Him, His glory does not mean yellow light or neon hoops. His true glory is that which causes the heavenly beings to cover their faces in His presence. It brings forth their worshipful praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The glory of the Lord is that fourth shining that gives him universal praise. It demands love and worship from his created beings. It makes him known throughout his creation. It is the character of God that is the glory of God. Right. It is from A.W. Tozer's book, Jesus, Our Man in Glory. I like Tozer's books because they're really good, but they're super short. So if you guys aren't into like Christian reading, you guys should check out A.W. Tozer. Theologically, he's very dense. But his books are very short, so I enjoy them. But what he's saying is that the glory of God that makes God, right? The glory of God that makes God God, right? It's his glory, right? Like the aspect of him, and includes his holiness, his majesty, his righteousness, his justice. All of the characteristics of God that makes him God is his glory, and Jesus is the radiance of that glory. His, 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 the shining forth of all that God is. 
That is why Jesus is worthy of worship and praise, because he is the glory of God manifested in the world. And the author also says that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Right? In another translation, it says the, the exact representation of God's person. This is, you know, this is very like, you know, uh, deep theology. In A.W. Tozer, he also says it like this. He says, the Godhead cannot be comprehended by the human mind, but the eternal God sustains, upholds, stands beneath all that comp- compasses the vast created universe. And Jesus Christ has been pre- presented to us as the exact representation of God's person. All that God is. The words exact representation, of course, have their origin in the pressed upon wax seal that authenticity, a dignitary documents or letters. You remember, if you guys watch those movies, you know, like from long time ago, you know, like those knights and, you know, they would have this like document and they would put some wax and there'd be a seal, right? You guys have seen those, right? Well, this is, this is kind of the, the imagery that we get. The incarnate Jesus gives visible shape and authenticity to deity. When the universe, the invisible God became visible, he was Jesus Christ. When God, who could not be seen nor touched, came to dwell among us, he was Jesus Christ. So Jesus is this, like, the, the, the indentation of, you know, the, the, the shape of what God is, right? we can see it because he's like this perfect representation. Like, like, you know, the seal, the, the seal that's like pressing into that wax. The wax is what we can see. Right? We can't see God. Right? We can't see God in His infinite glory, but we can see this representation um, upon this wax in Jesus in human form. And so, the author is telling us that Jesus Christ is, as man, the perfect and exact representation of the person or the sus- substance of God, that He is God. He didn't just have godly character. A long time ago, a lot of people thought, well, He's a prophet, right? He's just a very godly man, right? No. He's more than that. He wasn't just like God. He was the exact representation of the person of God. And then he says this. This is where my main point of my sermon is going. It says, after making purification, now the word for that is atonement for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, Jesus made atonement for sin. And we know that as imperfect people under the law, if we are under the law, Man has to make atonement for sin. Right? Something had to die or shed blood for that atonement to happen. Right? And in chapter 10, the author gives us this picture. He says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good thing to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Right? And in verse uh, 3, it says, But these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Under the law, even after atoning for sin, there was a reminder of sin every year. Because animal sacrifices fall short of the glory of God. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's why in chapter 10, verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you read the description of the tabernacles in the Old Testament and the priests, there are no chairs. There's no chairs. And it's true. There were no chairs for the priests to sit. 
Why? Because under the old covenantal sacrifice system, sacrificial system, priests never sat down. It's not that they never sat, like when they were in their homes, they probably sat down, but I think when they were at their work, doing what they have been called to do, they never sat down. Israel's first worship in structures called the tabernacle, right? Tabernacle of David, right? And then Solomon built the temple, and then that temple got destroyed, and they rebuilt again, and through like Ezra and Nehemiah and all that. But the say the aspects of the structures that were to be made in that the, the, the temple or the tabernacle was always the same. There was a courtyard, a holy place, and the holy of holies. And when we look at the instructions for building of these structures by God, there was no instructions to make chairs or a bench or even a mat to sit on. Right? In the courtyard, right, there's the bronze altar used for sacrifices and the implements necessary for the altar, pails, forks, fire, fire pans, and gratings. The courtyard also held the bronze laver, a large basin of water used for the priests to wash their hands and feet before approaching the altar. In the holy place, the holy place, the front portion of the sanctuary contained the table of showbread, you know, the bread, there was a table of the bread that um, was there, the golden lampstand and the altar of incense and its utensils. And then in the holy of holies, where like the only the high priest can go in, there's a thick veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies, which held only the Ark of the Covenant, and that's it. And those are the items God commanded to build and place in the tabernacle or in the temple. No instructions were given for anything to sit on. There were no chairs, no benches, no mats. Why? Because the work of atonement never ceased. During major feasts, there were as many as 500 priests working from sunup to sundown. Some historians say, I looked this up in the History Channel for, I don't know, it was on CNBC or something like that, but so that at one time, there were, at, at certain times, there would be as much as 1.2 million animals sacrificed in one day during major feasts because the atonement never ceased. It was never complete. So there had no time to sit down. Right? When I used to work at Sharky's, I used to work at a bar and grill right here. Right? When, the, when, when you would never have time to sit down on Fridays. Well, standing the whole time, cutting, making burgers, you know, take, right? but that's what it is. And they say that during sacrifice traditions of times, priests would be standing in like, like ankle or knee deep, like blood. That's how much blood that there would be like lying around them, right? Because the atonement never ceased. But no matter how big the bull or how special the goat or the lamb, the sacrifice was not sufficient. And there was a continual need for sacrifice every year to atone for sin. As, and so the priests never sat at their work. But God in His love for us sent us His Son, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And it says, and after making purif- purification for sin, making atonement for sin, what did He do? He sat. It says he sat at the right hand of the majesty. He sat at the right hand of God. And he continues to sit because his work was complete. He, as a sacrificial lamb, atoned for sin completely. If it was just a man that died on the cross, one man would have tasted death. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, John 19.30 says, It is finished, right? It is finished. 
bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Because he was God, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, when he says it's finished and he gives up his spirit, he experienced death for everyone. He atoned for the sins of everyone. He can do this because he is God. Hebrews 2.9, it says, Crowned with glory and honor, yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And so his atonement, right, his forgiveness, after, after bringing his atonement and his purification, it says, the Bible says he sat. What priests did not do when they were doing what they were supposed to do, Jesus did. He sat. It was finished. It was complete. Hebrews 10.14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's complete. It's, it's done. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. We are made in God's image. So an animal cannot atone for our sins. You, you may think, oh, well, you know, you know, like Melvin's in the same image as Caleb. Maybe Melvin can atone for Caleb's sin. No! Because we're all made in God's image, right? You can't sacrifice Melvin and forgive my sins, right? The only person, only being that can, that can be, that can atone for our sins is the person, the type, the, 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 the being that we are made in the image of, it's God. And then God himself came to earth and became like one of us and he died. And he paid the, the ransom, he paid the punishment, he brought the atonement that can only bring the type of forgiveness that, that can truly forgive our sins. In Christ Jesus, when he says we are forgiven, we are forgiven. That's why shame is such an enemy of the Word of God. Whenever you feel shame, you're not listening to God. You know what you're listening to? You're listening to the devil. Because the devil will lie to you with shame every time. I can't believe you did that! Right? How are you going to do that and call yourself a pastor? How are you going to do that and call yourself a that's, that's, that's not from the Lord. God's God's paradigm is all about love, right? God, it says, for God so loved the world, He sent His Son. He's not going to look at us and, and ridicule us. But He said, it is done! It is done! It is finished! The torment that I bring is complete. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And when he says that we're forgiven, we're forgiven. And this produces in us true worship. And our worship glorifies Jesus. We exalt him as the radiance of God's glory. God is, Jesus is glorified when we are living in the fullness of what he came for us to do. Do you guys understand that? That, that, that Jesus, he's, he, his, his glory is there, but he's glorified when, when what he did is manifested in our lives and we, we give him glory because what he did actually happened in us.
And so we, it's true worship flows up from us when we understand this. So this makes it so that when I sin, and I, I say when and not if, because I sin, right? We all sin. If you think you don't sin, you're tripping. I don't have to drag a goat in here and kill it and offer it as a sacrifice. Right? No, I can't find a goat. I go to the pet store get a hamster. I don't know. Give me the biggest animal that I can... I don't know. Because there aren't enough goats and lambs in the world for us to atone for our sins under the law. But we are under Jesus. He is the perfect Lamb of God. And through His death and resurrection, we have a forgiveness of sin that is perfect. Complete. Not because we're so good at not sinning. And we're better than everybody else. But because Jesus is who He is. The radiance of the glory of God. And He did what the Bible says He did. His grace truly is sufficient. Now why is the writer of Hebrews saying this to a a bunch of Jewish Christians that are on the verge of apostasy, but on the verge of giving up their faith? Because truly understanding this should produce three things in us. I'm going to go through those three things. Number one, truly understanding this produces in us true joy and affection for Christ. We have a joy that is not based on us striving and working for our salvation and destiny, but given to us through grace and faith. That should produce true joy in us. The truth of this is so great and so amazing that it produces in us true joy that the world cannot take from us. And it creates in us true affection for Jesus Christ. Jesus did all of this for love and and the joy that was set before Him, right? It says, for the joy that was set before He endured the cross. And the natural response of ones that are transformed by Jesus is joy and love, right? It's, 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 it comes, it's not just for ourselves, it's so that we can give glory to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And, and because you, you did what you did, I can live in the fullness of the life that you have for me. And it produces true joy and true affection for Christ. And one of the things that, that should mark a Christian is our affection for Jesus Christ. Do you have true affection for Christ? Right. If you, do you, or do you see him as this, this judge that stands far off and just like condemns you? I, I, you gotta get yourself all cleaned up before you even approach him, right? You guys have heard my Ezra analogy, right? I don't have to say it, right? You, we try to like clean ourselves off, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna get all clean before Jesus, right? And then we, we go, we stand before Jesus. Is that how you see Jesus or do you see him close? Near, so loving and so caring. And, and do you have affection for Christ? Because if you truly understand what He did, and if you truly understand the power of, of His atonement, His forgiveness, His scandalous forgiveness, how he, how amazing is His grace towards us, it produces enough true affection. Number two, it should make us take sin seriously. Knowing this should not give us a casual attitude towards sin. If Jesus truly is who He says He is and truly did what He said He did, we need to take sin seriously. Jesus, He he took on the punishment of our sins upon Him and we have this affection for Christ and now we have to take sin seriously. Sin isn't something that we just kind of 
you know, like make excuses for it. doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfect. That's impossible, but we don't have a casual attitude towards sin. It's like what Paul talks about in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so we don't, knowing this, knowing the type of atonement that we have in Christ, we don't take, we take sin seriously. And taking sin seriously is living what Jesus preached. What did Jesus preach? What did he preach? Do you, do you guys know? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. We don't just uh, wallow in sin. We don't just make excuses for sin, but we repent. We turn from the sin and we face Jesus. Repentance is less about, you know, like turning from sin and more about facing Jesus. You can't truly face Jesus, right? And, and, and still have sin in front of you. You might think you do, but you're actually just facing the sin. And true repentance is turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need you more than anything. I need you more than anything in my life. And we take sin seriously. It's allowing Him to do what it says in verse 16. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their mind. We take sin seriously out of love. We love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. You know, you know, what's the, what, it says, I will put my laws on their hearts. What's the law? What is the commandment that Jesus gave to us before he left? What did he say? What did he say? Love God and love people, right? Love the Lord all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then love your neighbors as yourself. That's the, that's the command. He's gonna write it in our hearts. And so when that is ri- truly written in our hearts and in our minds, and we, we take sin seriously. If true God is truly like above all else, you love Him more than you know, like all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? You you can't just look at sin casually. It's like marriage. I love Mina, and we got married. I'm so thankful. I give glory to God every day that my wife married me because I look like this, and she looks like that, right? And if I was single now, I would be done for, right? If I was single now, I like you know, like I'm hopeless, right? I thank the Lord, and so we make this commitment, right? And the commitment that we have is a true commitment, right? You no, know, if I had a commandment, it would be to love Mina more than any other woman in all of the creation, and and the, you know, and that would be my commandment. Right? And because I have that, I cannot casually date other women, right? Because that just goes against the commandment that is written in my heart for my wife. Right? And we can't do that with God if God truly is. If you truly understand the type of atonement that Jesus has brought into your life, and you love Him and you have affection for Him, and He truly is, you know, like you love Him, you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, there is no way that you can look at sin casually. You might mess up. I've messed up plenty of times. But you can't just say, God, oh, it's alright. It's alright. It's not that bad, right? At least I'm not doing this. You know, like at least I'm not like cheating on my wife, right? That's that's what it is. We cannot 
takes sin casually, we have to take it seriously if we truly know the type of atonement and, and forgiveness that God brings us into. And then number three, truly understanding this causes us to cling to Jesus. He made atonement for our sin, but we could do nothing about it. I go around tracking down every lamb and sacrificing it to God. Middle Eastern people would hate me because the price of lamb would shoot up, right? I go around every all countries killing lambs, right? And trying to make atonement for my sin. It does nothing. I'm still in sin, right? Because the Bible says that the blood of goats and, and bulls and goats cannot atone for our sins. We're made in the image of God. And so, you know, I could go around sacrificing all of the lambs and do nothing for my sin. It says, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, I can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Right? The law and the temple and all of the sacrifices were just a shadow of the good things to come. God gave the Israelites the law and sacrifice and the temple it's just a, as a precursor, a shadow, just a, just to, just to, so that they can really hang on for the real thing to come, which was Jesus Christ. He became the perfect atonement for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins upon himself. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that I can be perfectly forgiven and have eternal life in him. And then he turns to me and says, follow me. I'm going to cling on to that man. If you truly understand the atonement, the forgiveness, the grace that you are in, right? when Jesus says, follow me, you will cling on to Jesus. And this is why he's saying this to a bunch of Jewish Christians that are on the verge of falling away from the faith. He's like, Jesus is everything. His atonement, his forgiveness is everything. You don't have to sacrifice, you know, like bulls and goats every year. That's incomplete. Jesus has given you complete forgiveness. His atonement is perfect. And this is the exhortation that the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to these Jewish Christians. That Jesus, that He is the real deal. He's not just a shadow, but He is the real deal. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He is the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, and His atonement is perfect and complete. And He sat. He sat. All the priests, they never sit. There are no chairs, because the work of atonement never ceases. But Jesus sat. And the author is saying, this is everything. And so hold fast to Jesus. And through His grace and His atonement, we have a relationship with God. Because of His atonement, and through Jesus, we can know God. Through Him, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. Because He was sacrificed for our sins, our atonement is complete. So we cling to Jesus. We cling to Jesus. Let's pray. I want to give you guys an encouragement today for those of you guys that struggle with shame, that struggle with 
with always thinking that they're not forgiven. I, I, I used to be like that when I was younger. I, that's, there's a reason why I went on 12 church retreats and accepted Jesus Christ into my heart 12 times. Because I always felt like, oh, am I, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I righteous enough? Am I, am I doing the right thing? But I want you, I want to tell you today that when it comes to your sin, right, it has less to do with you and more to do with Jesus and everything to do with Jesus. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, His blood that was shed on the cross atoned for your sins completely. Doesn't mean that you're going to go around and just willy-nilly, you know, sin. If you're doing that, you may not really know Jesus. But if you truly know Jesus, right, the shame, the condemnation, the anxiety that comes, that is not from the Lord. And I want to tell you that His atonement is complete. His atonement is final. When He forgives you, He forgives you. He's not like me. I don't, He doesn't bring it up six months later, right? What about this? I do that all the time to my wife. When Jesus says it's finished, it's finished. And that doesn't mean that we go around sinning. What it means is we cling to Jesus. We take sin seriously. And we get to know, and we get to know the fullness of the joy and the love that Christ has for us. I want to encourage you today, because this is the words of the writer of Hebrew. He's trying to encourage these Jewish Christians. It's like, hey, don't go back to that, that sacrificial system that is always going to leave you still covered in sin and feeling guilty and feeling shame. I want you to bring you into the, what you know of Jesus. His forgiveness is complete. His atonement is final. And so, Lord, as we pray today, Lord, I pray for us to have a deep understanding of your grace, a fuller understanding of your atonement and your forgiveness. And Lord, may we, may that understanding transform our hearts, Lord, change us, our perception of you, our joy for you, our love for you, our attitude towards sin. And may we cling to you as the only one in all of the universe that can make us right before God and bring us into your family, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all of the glory and the honor and the praise today. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives.